second speaker today is Dr. Michelle Ananda Raja. Michelle is an infectious diseases and general physician at the Alfred Hospital and has been a very vocal advocate for improved PPE for healthcare workers throughout the pandemic. And she's going to talk to us about kit testing, among other things. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for the invitation and hello everyone. Um, it's a real delight to be invited for this session and I want to commend the New South Wales NMA for their leadership and uh, you know in really promoting this sort of educational seminar. It's very timely right now. So let me just get the slides up. Um, yep, okay, excellent. All right, so um, I'm going to talk to you about fit testing, but I want to put it, contextualize it, I guess, in context of um, a wider respiratory protection program. And I think that's quite important um, because it is mentioned in your guidelines, in your New South Wales CEC guidelines, and it starts off well mentioning this respiratory protection program. And then there's a few things that kind of caught my eye and, you know, made me wonder what was actually sort of going on here. They talk a little bit about the absence of fit testing does not automatically equate to inadequate uh, protection. I would disagree with that. They also talked a bit about fit checking at the time of use has been and continues to be the most reliable method for ensuring that the healthcare worker has achieved an optimal fit and required seal. Most reliable method. Um, I would also disagree with that and I'm gonna show you some evidence um, uh, that counters that. So in Victoria, we brought in a policy um, for respiratory protection program on the 3rd of September, so not long ago. And uh, in it, there are several components, as you can see, a program administrator, um, respiratory protections training, and fit testing is one element of a respiratory protection program. So it's a sort of a holistic program. You don't just bring in fit testing without all these other components. And the idea, and it's still an idea, is that it should be um, implemented throughout all Victorian healthcare facilities. I understand that the program is to be developed by the end of October, but that doesn't necessarily mean it would have been rolled out to all the facilities, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, so the respiratory, a respiratory protection program or RPP is actually an Australian standard and it's been around for decades. And so what are standards? Standards, I guess, are, are guidelines or regulations actually that are designed to keep us safe. So they stop us, for example, from ele electrocuting ourselves if we turn on the kettle, um, stops children from choking on toys. And they are living documents which reflect progress in science, technology, and systems, which I think is a really excellent um, definition. And for respiratory protection, there are two standards that are um, relevant, the 1716 and the 1715. The 1716 Australian New Zealand standard refers to the actual equipment, the respiratory, the respirators, for example, or powered air purifiers. And 1715 um, refers or have I got that wrong? No, refers to um, fit testing in the context of an RPP. Okay, so it sort of tells you how to actually use it and how to implement. Um, and this is straight out of the, um, the Australian standard. It is behind a paywall. You have to pay for it to access this document. Um, and essentially it says that where RPE, which is respiratory protective equipment, like your respirators or your masks, for example, is to be worn, an RPP shall be established, the program shall develop procedures in relation to the uh, following. And, and, and it lists what the actual components of an RPP um, are. 
The interesting thing about this guideline is that the language in it is not, um, there's no ambiguity around that language. It uses language like you shall, um, management shall. It's not may, could, recommended, okay? It is you shall do this. And, and that is there for a guide for a reason because it is basically designed to literally protect the life of the wearer. So um, let's just talk for a minute about this, the mask. This is straight out of the CDC. It's an excellent website. Um, I mean, the NIOSH guidelines are, are wonderful. And this is a really nice graphic. And um, the surgical mask, you know, a lot of discussion about it. But essentially, I've, you're going to get these slides. So um, you'll see what it is. But this is a loose-fitting mask. And the important thing here is that it does not provide the wearer with a reliable level of protection from inhaling smaller airborne particles and is not considered respiratory protection. Okay, so that is from the CDC and that would be uh, a universal um, guideline across the world. All right, so the surgical mask is not respiratory protection. It is, was actually designed to stop uh, splash and splatter from the surgical field coming onto the face of the surgeon or spillage from the surgeon onto the surgical field, okay? It's not designed to protect the wearer against any type of infectious disease via aerosol. And then we have what are called respirators. And respirators come in many shapes and sizes. We have the disposable ones, which are also called FFRs. And then there are these ones, which really have not been discussed in Australia, but I'm trying to get them up on the agenda because I think that they are absolutely part of the solution. Um, and these are called collectively reusables. They can be half face masks, full face respirators, or the PAPAs. And you would have seen these being used in other countries, but not widely used here. So why is fit testing important? Um, lots of reasons. So we put out an open letter in August um, as part of an advocacy campaign, asking for a whole range of things, including fit testing. Um, and you know, we it triggered really an outpouring of uh, commentary from uh, healthcare workers around the country, and you can see, you know, some of the things uh, they 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 said here about the quality of the the masks that they were wearing. So, you know, this is a really important thing for us. Okay, it's not only life saving, but the work we do is unpredictable. It's manual. It's heavy, and you know, you really need to be confident in your respiratory protection when you're working with patients. So in terms of fit testing, it is again part of the respir respiratory protection program. And this is what the Australian standard says. Um, and it can be two types. You might be familiar with this. It can be maybe qualitative or quantitative. Um, I might just skip over. Oh, actually, I won't skip over this. this is, these are the pandemic guidelines that were, were written at the start of the year by the Infection Control Expert Group. And I, I have um, challenged this uh, these guidelines, these policies has been grossly inadequate. It basically says that, um, you know, in the context of a pandemic, fit testing will be difficult due to limited supplies and a range of types and sizes. Fit testing does not guarantee a respirator will not leak, particularly if it is a different type or size use. This reinforces the need of the fit check. Now, the problem I have with all of this is that, you know, the perception as a health front, frontline healthcare worker is that this guideline is saying that fit testing is too hard. It's in the too hard basket. We're not going to invest in your safety. And I really took issue with that um, because, you know, as, as Victorian um, healthcare workers started 
uh, rates started soaring amongst us, um, uh, you know, my colleagues, uh, we really needed to look at every element of, of our safety. Um, and then this business of elevating the fit check above the fit test is just actually uh, misleading, um, as you'll see. So what is actually hard is getting COVID, okay? And these are direct quotes from the study that we have just written and um, submitted to a journal, and it is available on preprint. You can read it. Um, I'm happy to share the links with you for that. It's, it's really quite enlightening to just hear the voices of the healthcare workers, um, you know, being denied seeing your child. Um, and then, you know, if you're in the middle of a procedure, uh, a critical maneuver like a recess, having your PPE essentially fail on you. Um, so why do we have fit testing? Fit testing is a formal evaluation. It's performed by a trained um, operator. And what it is, it's a bit like a stress test. It's actually stressing the mask on your face during a series of static and dynamic exercises. And it's assessing three criteria. The seal of the mask, its compatibility, whether it's compatible, for example, with other types of PPE, like your goggles or visors or whatever and whether it's stable. And stability is actually really, really important because as you know, if you're a nurse, you're washing you know, a patient or you're turning them over or you know, whatever it is you're doing, it's manual work. You really need to be certain or confident that your respirator is going to stick and be stable um, during all those kinds of maneuvers. Um, and I'll talk a little bit, a bit about why fit testing is also important from a manufacturing point of view. So is fit checking good enough? Um, well, there have been a few studies that have pretty much discredited that notion that fit checking is good enough. A fit check is important. We do it all the time, but don't be fooled. If a fit check is negative, it doesn't necessarily mean that your respirator has a good seal, okay? And it's basically because the human sense is very poor at actually detecting gross leakage. So um, this was a study from Hong Kong of 638 Chinese nursing students, and they found that you know, the sensitivity was pretty poor, around 22 to 30%, specificity was equally poor. Um, and essentially the, the, the message there was that the human sense is poor at detecting um, gross leakage. This is another study from Canada of 784 um, healthcare workers, and they found that you know, just about everyone passed their fit check. So everyone thought that the mask or the respirator was fitting them properly, but only about 60% of these people passed their fit test, okay? So clearly we are not very good at um, assessing or determining um, gross, uh, gross leakage. Uh, so it's, it's not something that you can really take a lot of reassurance from, okay? And this is just an example of the masks that they use. So this is the three Ms. These are the, the duckbills that we're all familiar with, and this is a 3M Aura, which is a very nice mask, quite difficult to get hold of though. So the use of fit check, the issue with that, the fit check, so when you just don your mask and you know you blow in and you blow out and you're feeling for any sort of gross leakage around your face, is that it doesn't have any dynamic movement exercises in it, okay? So that's really important. So how applicable is that to the real world? I mean, we are not static individuals. We are moving animals. So we need to be certain that when we're wearing this sort of, you know, respirator, that it's actually forming a seal and that seal is stable, either with movement or without movement. Um, I just put this here because um, we are familiar, we talk a lot about disposable respirators, but these are the reusables, okay? And these are, we need to start thinking of these as 
one, okay? This is a repertoire, an armamentarium of products that are used to keep us safe. And for whatever reason, the focus has been in this country has been on this, and this is essentially because of those infection control expert group. At the very beginning of the year, they decided that they were going to invest in these N95s rather than these P3s. A P3 um, is, so an N95 filters at 95%, okay, with an adequate tight seal. A P3, on the other hand, filters at 99.9%, .9%, all right? So these filter at a much higher rate. And you can see you can, it can be half face, full face. If you wear a full face, you don't have to wear goggles, okay? So it gets rid of a piece of PPE. You can have loose fitting, fitting pappers. So these are pappers, the powered air purifying respirators. Um, the, this one you might be familiar with. It is uh, a 3M VersaFlow, a loose fitting one around your face. So you've got a bit more mobility. And this is a tight fitting um, PAPA. Uh, called the Halo, Clean Space Halo. It's actually an Australian product. It's a very nice uh, looking product. Um, and you know who's bought the most of these? Um, Singapore. Singapore bought, bought the most of these, about 3,000. I rang the company and they told me that. So there you go. Um, in terms of uh, fit testing, what this is a study that was just done by the Australian Society of Anesthetists and they they tested 60 anaesthetists on using the quantitative fit test, which I'll talk to you about. This is the gold standard fit test. And what they found was that a lot of people failed on the disposable respirators, um, but just about everyone passed using the elastomeric respirators, which is, which is like this. This is an elastomeric respirator, okay? This is my own, I have three of these. It cost me about $100. It is a silicon uh, mask, very soft. And it essentially, right, it molds to your face. Now, I got myself privately fit tested and uh, I, I was tested on this, the 3M and the Duckbill. I failed both of them. I tried another two. I failed those two disposables. When I wore this, I absolutely, I flew through the test, okay? No problems at all. Um, but I'm not allowed to wear this in my hospital because it's not approved by my hospital. It is TGA approved. Just in the last two weeks, this became TGA approved. So, um, yeah, interesting situation we find ourselves in. Uh, in terms of the actual different types of respirators, the important thing to understand here is that, you know, faces come in different shapes and sizes. And so it's not a one size fits all, you know, thing here. What you will find, though, that there's a pattern emerging. The duckbills tend to be the ones that fail the most. We really need to, to, to think as a country why we keep buying these, all right? They're gonna fail on the majority of people, about 70%, maybe 80% or more will fail. And yet for all of my career, the duckbill is the only thing I've ever been given. It's just, you know, but the pandemic has shown us that this is actually a pretty ordinary, um, you know, respirator and we probably don't, shouldn't be investing in these anymore. Um, so this is a study from Concord, large number of staff members, and they found that the fail rates were lowest with the 3Ms, which is a bit like this one. This is a 3M, um, and was highest with the duck bills, okay? The aura was pretty good, actually. Um, what they did find, though, is that when you have a reasonable range, say about four, um, you know, masks or respirators, uh, you can actually fit test most of your staff. Most of your staff, you know, they'll find a mask that will fit them just, just with four. So, you know, it's only a very small percentage of staff members will fail all, you know, all those uh, masks. 
And this is one of my favorite studies. This is a South Australian study, um, which I'm sure Samira will talk about. But, you know, they, they had a program, this is over 10 years ago, prior to H1N1, um, they decided to basically fit test all healthcare workers in, you know, eight hospitals across the state. It was an operational kind of deployment. And they, they did, they managed to do it with about uh, four, four, I think it was, yeah, four different types of respirators. They fit tested um, successfully about 90% of their staff, which is just phenomenal. What they did find was that Asian faces failed, um, had a higher fail rate than Caucasian faces, and there was no sex differences, okay, between men and women. But the issue here is that when you have an experienced fit tester doing this job, they are able to look at your face and, you know, just through sheer experience, they'll be able to pick a respirator that is more likely to fit you. So, you know, there's an experience thing here and training comes into this. The interesting thing about this study, which I just want to point out to you, was that um, you know, they used 20 port account machines. I'll show you what that looks like. They used about 20 full-time staff. The whole thing cost about 1.2 million. Do you know how much that is in, a, in today's money? So that's about 1.5 million in today's money. So for a tiny amount of money, they basically fit tested, um, you know, 6,000 staff members and they did that in six months. So, you know, the issue here is that we have gone you know, we went uh, 10 months, we've gone 10 months through this pandemic and there has been, uh, it's, it's only now in Victoria that we are starting to fit test, um, you know, our staff. So we pretty much, I feel that we've pretty much squandered uh, at least half a year uh, because those initial guidelines, those national guidelines did not strongly advocate fit testing. And I think that was a lost opportunity. Um, just one little thing I want to mention, this comes up a lot. People will discredit fit testing based on a randomized controlled trial uh, uh, by, by Raina. And, um, you know, it's a mistake. So this was a study done in China, a large number of healthcare workers across 15 hospitals. And they were at the time using the Rolls-Royce of respirators, which was this, these 3M masks, okay? And basically what they found was this was looking to to protect healthcare workers against flu and any other type of respiratory virus. And it does work. So if you wear a respirator in um, you know, clear, these clear bars, uh, it actually does halve your risk compared to if you wear a surgical mask. Why? Because a surgical mask is not res respiratory protection. But what happened was, was, was that there was no um, significant dif difference in those people who wore fit-tested N95s versus those healthcare workers who didn't wear fit-tested N95s, okay? So, in fact, there was a slightly higher rate of infections in the group that wore um, fit-tested N95s. The issue here is that this study, people have latched on, critics have latched onto this study and, and basically discredited, you know, 20 years of Australian standards and said, oh, well, this, this randomized trial has come out, came out and it didn't show any benefit. This is a huge mistake, okay? The, the, this study basically refers to these particular respirators in this Chinese population, okay? It is not generalizable to anywhere, any other setting. So that, that's the key that needs to be taken home. And also, you know, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. It always comes down to that. Um, I don't know if I want to spend too much time in this. What are, the, the point of this is to show you that there are lots of standards in the world. These are the US standards by NIOSH. These are the European ones. KN is the Chinese. P2 is the Australian standards, Korean, Japanese. And when respirators are made, they have to, they have to basically 
satisfy certain criteria, which I've listed down the bottom, right? So, you know, you, you, you just can't manufacture a respirator and say, oh, it's, it works. It's got to be sent to an accredited lab. There's only a few of them in the world and it's got to be put through its paces. And one of the things that's important to take, to bear in mind here is that in the US, the N95, which is predominantly what we use in this country, we don't actually see very many P2s. Um, the N95 is not assessed on this thing called total inward leakage, which is the amount of a specific aerosol that enters the tested respirator face piece via both the filter penetration and the face seal uh, leakage, while a wearer performs a series of exercises in a test chamber. What that basically means is that uh, someone is wearing one of these in a test chamber and total inward leakage is assessing how much actually, how well that seal is, is fitting around the, um, the person's face. And an N95 is not tested on that, which means that in the US, for example, if you use an N95 at work, you must have a fit test because it was never approved, never regulated on um, the facial seal. So this notion that you can um, assume that an N95 is going to filter at 95% is completely false. It will only filter at 95% if the seal around your face is tight and that essentially then forces all the air through the respirator instead of around the seal. So um, quantitative and qualitative, I don't wanna to spend too much time on this, but quantitative is an objective measure. Um, it's using specialized equipment called a port account. It does destroy the respirator because you essentially pierce the respirator with a stylet. You're measuring the quantity of aerosols um, inside the respirator versus outside. So you're looking for a ratio called a fit factor. Uh, you might be augmenting the air with salty water aerosols. So you might find something bubbling in the background. Um, and it also comes with education and training and that's important. So men need to be clean shaven. Um, your straps need to be at the base of your neck and at the crown up here. And you ideally should really have a mirror in front of you when you're putting on a, a respirator. Um, qualitative, Basically, this is where you know you have to you breathe in like a bitter substance. It's squirted into a hood. I'll show you some pictures in a minute, and you you smell this bitter substance or a sweet substance, sometimes banana oil. Um, the issue, though, with qualitative is that people can become insensitive to the smell, so you get olfactory fatigue, if you like, and it is very much a subjective thing. So it's influenced by the wearer actually smelling that. Um, it's a lot cheaper and a lot faster to do, and it does not destroy the respirator. In terms of how good they are, the agreement between the two is moderate, which means that, you know, it's okay as a surrogate, it's not great. This, this is actually the gold standard, quantitative. So this is a picture of, whoops, of qualitative. As you can see, a hood is placed over someone. This is from, I think this is from Perth, actually. Um, so this nurse is wearing an elastomeric mask and you can see someone has you know you're essentially squirting in this substance under the hood and and then they jump around they move their heads from side to side and they to determine if the respirator is actually forming a tight seal and whether they can smell the substance this on the other hand is the quantitative one from hong kong and you can see these are the machines called a port account they're hooked up to a computer and the the actual uh, mask is pierced with a stylet and um, the test is done while you move your head from side to side or you talk and so on. 
So in the past, the quantitative fit test used to take about seven minutes, but as of September of last year, this was shortened into a, a fast kind of protocol, which takes two and a half minutes. This is the one I did. And essentially you um, bend over about, I think 30 seconds. You might talk, you have to read something and talk. If you're wearing an elastomeric, which is one of these, um, you've got to jog. So the talking goes, but you jog. You move your head from side to side and, and up and down as well. And all the while, you've got to pass each and every one of these um, exercises in order to pass the full protocol, okay? So if you fail any one of these, you'll fail the whole thing. So it's pretty stringent and it's designed, it's stringent for a reason because it's designed to protect your life. Um, the, the one thing you will fail on, the one that you're more, most likely to fail on is in fact talking. Okay, which is quite surprising. So we, uh, we can't get away from talking in our jobs. Um, so I just put this there just to, just to really wind up now and say that, you know, fit testing is just one thread of a respiratory protection program. Okay, it's not the whole thing, but it's got to be done within the context of a full program. I might just skip those because that's just straight out of the um, standards. It just tells you what the components of a respiratory protection program are. You can have a look at them yourself. Worth having a read of this um, paper. This was just published in the BMJ. Uh, basically turns on its head the whole notion of, you know, droplets versus uh, airborne. It's written by um, Aussies, which is nice. And uh, you would be familiar with this, okay? I love this diagram. The problem is that I have some issues with this diagram and I've written about them on my Twitter feed and you can, you can have a read. Um, you know, for healthcare, we can't eliminate uh, COVID, neither can we substitute it, okay? Because we don't send robots in to look after patients with COVID, it's people, all right? It's us. So these two don't work for us, I think, and that's my opinion, but few people share that. Engineering controls would be great. Wouldn't it be great if we could have lots and lots of negative pressure rooms and, you know, just uh, in increase our negative ventilation and exhaust? Expensive, takes the will of management, all kinds of issues we're putting in engineering. So that leaves us with these. Administrative controls, which are things like um, restricting uh, foot traffic, um, rostering, etc., And finally, PPE. And the, you know, these are regarded as the weakest controls, but in fact, for us in healthcare during a pandemic, the worst pandemic of our lifetimes, these are actually the most important for us. And this is why we are having this seminar because PPE, i.e. respiratory protection, becomes incredibly important, in fact, life-saving. Um, and I'll just stop here on this uh, very interesting document worth reading. Not, my, not You can read our paper, by all means do so. It's in the MJA, but behind a paywall, unfortunately. Um, the, I was just want to draw your attention to this. This is really worth reading. Canadian stars... Commission. It's not a very long document. The first chapter is wonderful. It's about 14 pages. And, you know, this was uh, from a long time ago. And it talks about work safety and how we really need to put away dogma and ideology and focus on safety, because that's the most important thing. And I will conclude there. Thank you. And I'm sorry I went over time. Thank you so much for that, Michelle. That was amazing. Really very, very helpful. And um, I'm sure that um, there are a lot of people who will be very pleased to have access to all of that information and will be looking forward to going back and spending some more time reading over those slides that you've provided today. Yeah.